Let's pray. Father, we ask that uh, as we um, see um, portrayed for us in Holy Scripture the lifeless body of Jesus on the cross, I pray that um, Your Word would preach to our soul. Father, I pray that You would increase our faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray even for those who have no faith that You would grant it. As we uh, consider Jesus, we ask in His name, Amen. So, last Sunday morning, we examined the last two sayings that Jesus spoke while He was still on the cross. In verse 28, He whispered, I thirst. And in verse 30, He loudly proclaimed, It is finished. And then He bowed His head and gave up His spirit. So His life left His body. He was dead. But even though He stopped speaking from the cross, He did not stop preaching. Even His body, still hanging there lifeless on the cross, was boldly proclaiming God's good news of grace to sinners. And this morning, we are going to examine His wordless sermon. And with God's help, I'm going to boldly proclaim His good news to sinners this morning. So to understand um, this passage... Uh, First of all, we're going to see Christ's unbroken body preaches the message of God's good news. So to understand this point, it's important that we understand that criminals were typically, when they were crucified by Romans on the cross, they were were not taken down uh, right away, but they were left there to rot. Uh, And uh, they left them there to be devoured by the vultures, or as we say in Georgia, the the buzzards. What do you say down here? Turkey buzzards, have I heard that? um, But anyway, these birds uh, would come and and eat your flesh because they would leave you on the cross. But out of deference for the Jews, the Romans would not let the people being uh, crucified in Palestine uh, remain on the cross past sundown. You will remember Deuteronomy chapter 21. Uh, if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance. So that's in Deuteronomy 21. So the Jews would not allow the Romans to leave anyone on the cross. Well, what happened if the people had not died yet? If it went on into the evening and the person hasn't died? Well, of course, the next day um, was the uh, Passover. This was the holiest day on the Jewish calendar. So the religious leaders... Uh, they were very anxious that um, that Jesus and these other two men who were hung on the cross on either side of Him, uh, they were very anxious that they be buried. In other words, that they die, hurry up and die before, um, before the sun went down. 
these religious leaders, they went to, to Pilate and they petitioned him and uh, said, please have the legs of those who are hanging on the cross, have their legs broken. And uh, you'll remember part of the horror here of the cross is that as your feet are nailed to the cross that and you're hanging here, you're not able to get enough oxygen and uh, carbon monoxide or, uh, begins filling your lungs, if that's the right scientific term. Um, and so what you'd have to do is you'd have to push yourself up on those iron spikes that were holding your feet in place in order to get enough air to breathe. And so by breaking their legs, they would not be able to push themselves up. They would not be able to get enough air and they would die rather quickly. So look with me at verses uh, 31 through 33. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. So, <clears throat> by breaking their legs, um, they would die very quickly after that. And so the soldier came and broke the legs of the first, and then he went over to the other that was being crucified, and he broke his legs, but they skipped over Jesus. You know, it must have been obvious that he was dead. But still, even though they assumed him to be dead, he looked to be dead, they may have tried to check his pulse, however they did that back then. Um, they skipped over Jesus. Now, typically, Roman soldiers were trained to carry out their orders without question. You know, it would be sensible if you are, are a soldier and you have been commanded to break all the legs of all those that are hanging on the cross, even if he appeared to be dead, it, it appears sensible that you would go ahead and break his legs. Why would a t soldier take a chance that he was not dead, that he had only fainted, and he was not able to find his pulse real easily? I don't know what was going through the soldier's mind when he chose to skip over Jesus as he was breaking the other criminal's legs. But I do know the ultimate reason that he did not break Jesus' legs. Look at verse 36. Verse 36, For these things took place that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. When the Israelites left Egypt... God instituted the Passover meal. And He specifically said that the Israelites were to eat the Passover meal, eat the, the, the sacrificial lamb, without breaking any of its bones. And that Passover lamb, of course, was a type or a foreshadowing, a picture of the true Lamb of God who is coming to take away the sin of the world. The Passover meal that the Israelites ate every year for generation after generation, that Passover meal was a picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ was going to do on the cross. He was going to be the spotless Lamb of God. He was going to be the Lamb without blemish. 
He was going to be the Lamb uh, who would be broken for the sin of the world. And so, this prophecy um, through the instructions in the Passover meal pointed to Jesus Christ. And John here wants us to understand that it was perfectly fulfilled. It's not here. It's not just in Exodus. Also, I think in Numbers. Also in uh, Psalm 34, it says His bones will not be broken. And so God's Word was fulfilled. This unwitting soldier who decided to skip over Jesus and not break His legs was fulfilling Scripture. I'll have more to say about this in a couple of minutes. But first, I want you to uh, look with me at verses 34 and 35. And we're going to see that Christ's pierced body preaches also the message of God's good news. Apparently, one of the other soldiers, seeing that the one who was breaking the legs did not break Jesus' legs, decided, I'm not going to get in trouble if this guy's not really dead. And so what he does is he takes a spear, a long spear, and he thrusts it right into the side of Jesus. And he punctures not only his flesh, but also punctures his heart. So listen to verses 34 and 35. But then one of but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you may also believe. You know, the standard reason given for the flow of water is to, due to the puncturing of the uh, uh, pericardium, which was a membrane that that encloses the heart. And then the blood came from the fact that the heart was punctured, um, uh, that uh, the aorta had been punctured. And then the water came out without being mixed together with the blood, and they uh, speculate because the blood had begun to coagulate. And um, so the blood and the water came out separately from this wound in his side, and it gushed out, uh, it seems to say. Now, I'm no scientist. I certainly don't have a medical background. I don't even think that I pronounce the medical words correctly. Um, I have really very little interest in the medical reasons for why the blood and the water flowed out uh, as it did. I'm more interested in the theological reasons for the flow. And the theological reasons, first of all, is that God did indeed want there to be ample proof that Jesus died on the cross and that He died without His legs being broken. You know, this gaping hole in the side of, of Jesus um, with this sudden gush of water and blood gave certain evidence to everyone around the cross that Jesus indeed was dead. So all these eyewitnesses, they see all this water and blood come gushing out from His side. They know that His, that his heart has been punctured. They know, even though He appeared dead before, um, before uh, he, he was speared in the side, everyone now knows it. And then there's a second reason why this... Um, 
why his side was, was pierced. Again, verse 36. For these things took place that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And then verse 37. And again, another Scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. And that passage is a direct quote from Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And so, uh, Zechariah 12.10, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the, house, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps for a firstborn. These two prophecies, you know, these are just a pinch, just a sampling of the great prophecies that were fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. There are other exceptional prophecies about Christ that we hear, you know, especially around Christmas, we hear around Easter. You know, these prophecies that we typically associate with Christmas and Easter, they would make no sense whatsoever except that they were they be fulfilled in Jesus Christ alone. You know, like the prophecy that a child will be born to the virgin in Isaiah 7. Who else has been born of a virgin? Or the prophecy in Isaiah 9, where the child will be called the Wonderful Counselor. <coughs> Excuse me, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, there are multitudes of these prophecies. And then there's even a greater multitude of prophecies that um, that mention just small little details. Mention details almost in passing that we might skip over if the Scripture did not cause us to pause and to consider as it's doing here. Uh, in verses 36 and 37, none of His bones will be broken. We may not have known that that applied to the Lord Jesus Christ But John wants us to understand that this is a fulfilled passage of Scripture that relates to Jesus Christ. Or uh, we'll mourn for Him who's pierced. Scripture wants us to see this. You know, even as we've read through chapter 19 the past several weeks, we've come across this phrase, this happened that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. Look at verses uh, 23 and 24 we looked at a few weeks ago. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took His garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also a tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the Scripture which says, They divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Uh, so, also look at verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. And so, uh, Jesus, even as He is hanging there on the cross, nailed to the cross, not able to use His arms and His legs. He is still fulfilling Scripture. And now, even after He is dead, hanging there lifeless on the cross, He is still fulfilling Scripture. 
And we're going to see even more uh, Scriptures being fulfilled in His burial. And I'm pointing this out to make two points. First, God included all these fulfilled prophecies to assure us that this book is no normal book. That this book is the Word of God. The fulfilled Scriptures teach us that this is the inspired and authoritative Word of God. He wants us to understand that. He wants us to live um, according to it. There are prophecies stacked on prophecies that are fulfilled. There is no intellectually honest way past these prophecies. And then secondly, all these prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus Christ to teach us that uh, there is no other Savior but Jesus Christ. That the Scriptures from Genesis 3 verse 15 all the way through Revelation chapter 22 are teaching us that Jesus Christ is the Savior. The promised Messiah way back in the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. The, the, the Savior that we read about in the New Testament is Jesus Christ. All these prophecies are teaching us to focus on Jesus Christ. The Old Testament and the New Testament is all about Jesus Christ. The Bible is God's love letter to us about Jesus Christ. Spurgeon, in speaking of the Old Testament, said, Here we see our best beloved beauties, best beloved's beauties mirrored in 10,000 delightful ways. There is a world of holy teaching in the books of the Old Testament and in their types and symbols. I want to return to this soldier for a couple of moments who was charged with breaking the legs of those who crucified, who were being crucified. And I want to consider him for just a few minutes more, especially now that we've established that he was unwittingly fulfilling Scripture. He was not acting under compulsion when he skipped past Jesus. He made his own decisions to disobey the orders, the clear orders that he was given to break the legs of all those who were hanging on the cross. In other words, God didn't whisper in his ear, skip over Jesus. Or there was not some angel guarding the cross with a sword flashing back and forth that only this soldier could see. He simply looked up. He realized Jesus is obviously dead. And so he disregarded the orders to break all their legs and only broke the legs of those who were um, clearly still living. In other words, he did according to his own thoughts and what he thought was best, but he did what God had foreordained should happen. In other words, this guard is acting freely. We could even say he's acting according to his own free will. But he ends up doing exactly what God had ordained for him to do. I think we get crossed up sometimes when we try and take the free will of man 
and the sovereignty of God and try and cross these things uh, when they run parallel. Because we think if we can't figure this out and this out in our own minds, it can't be true. But we are free moral creatures. Our wills are bound to our sin, so we act in according to our wills. Sinners only sin. Uh, but what I'm saying is we are free moral creatures and God is sovereign and uh, Christians sometimes reject that because they can't make it fit between their minds or between their ears. But it stands to reason there are going to be things that God does that we are not going to be, understand, be able to understand. He is God, we're not. Uh, Spurgeon says he doesn't try to reconcile the sovereignty of God and uh, the free agency of man because the Bible doesn't try and do those things. It simply says trust that God is sovereign over everything, all of our actions, all of our thoughts, over every circumstance, and that we are free and responsible creatures before the Lord. The um, I want to move on. I know we're we're um, running short on time, but hey, we'll feed you since we're going over late. We've made the decision. We'll feed you over in the fellowship hall. We're having the meal afterwards. Um, the um, I want to look at verses thirty-eight through forty-two real quickly because our Lord Jesus basically he is. Uh, He's going to be buried. and uh, But no one has made provision for Him to be buried. There's nobody around. What's, what's, what was God's plan for Jesus to be buried? Well, all of a sudden, up pops a member of the Sanhedrin, a religious leader, Joseph of Arimathea. A man who was um, was timid. A man who never really publicly acknowledged his faith in Jesus Christ because he was scared of the Jews. All of a sudden, he pops up and he says, uh, I want to take care of his body. Look, look at verse 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was his disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took his, his body. And so here is this Joseph of Arimathea, who we know is a, was a member of the, um, of the, of the Sanhedrin. He has, the influence with Pilate to be able to go and ask for Jesus' body, even though he was scared of the Jews, he now is bold. After Jesus has died, he goes and asks for his body. Um, and then uh, he receives permission, and so he takes Jesus' body down. And then, there's another unlikely figure that pops up in verse 39. Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus from John chapter 3? Nick at night. 
who came to Jesus secretly so that no one else would see him, and he was rebuked by Jesus. Well, Nicodemus comes and he has prepared a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. What was Nicodemus's profession? Remember? A Pharisee. So, Jesus is going to be buried not by his 12 or 11 disciples. Where are they? Nowhere to be found. But a member of the Sanhedrin and a Pharisee are taking Jesus taking his body to be prepared and to be um, to be buried. I skipped over a point and I, I think it's important enough just for me to take a couple of minutes and say this. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Scripture says, His body is not going to see decay. Um, but there was no plan for His body to be taken down and buried. But God in His providence made sure that there were these two very unlikely disciples come along who were perfectly situated, had the influence to go to Pilate, who were uh, who had the aloes and spices, had the money to be able to, to buy these things. And they come along and they take Jesus' body down. I think uh, Christians uh, and, and people in general wonder, what's going to happen to my body after I die? And it can be some measure of stress to think about that. What's going to really happen to my body after I die? Jesus didn't concern Himself about His body. God took care of Jesus' body. Your body, probably going to rot and go to the, go back to dirt from, from dust you were to dirt you shall return. But, you need not worry or fret about that because Jesus has a perfect body prepared for you. His body did not see decay His body triumphed over the grave in order that you might have a new body that is much better than this old weak body that we have now. You'll have a perfect body, a glorified body that will live forever and ever and ever. And when you get to the end of eternity, you'll still have eternity to go. And so... God prepared these two men to come and take His body. These two unlikely mourners. Don't find any of the disciples. Just Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And what also is interesting is that it's at the end of the day. And they don't have the time to do all the burial preparations that they need to do. And so they just lay Him in this body that Joseph of Arimathea happened to have procured for himself that no other body had been ever laid in. And so um, God perfectly uh, provided for Jesus' burial, even in the haste that they had to lay his body in the grave was part of God's providence. Because 
since they were not able to properly prepare his body for burial, then these ladies had to come back after the Sabbath day on the first day of the week early in the morning and prepare his body for burial. And of course, what did they find? They didn't find Jesus, for he had already risen from the grave. We like to say that it is our faith in Christ that saves us. And certainly it is. But what if you are here this morning and you don't have faith? And you're saying, I hear what you're saying, I just don't believe it. And you're asking, what? What am I supposed to do? Well, the glorious thing about our Savior is not just that His faith saves us. He also gives us faith that saves and so if you're not if you're here this morning and you don't have faith in the Lord Jesus, consider the picture that the scripture paints. Consider the Lord Jesus, his lifeless body on that cross. Consider why it was on that cross, because he came here to earth to die on the cross. Consider his lifeless body that was unbroken in terms of the bones. Consider His lifeless body that was pierced. Consider the blood and the water that flowed from His side. That blood and that water that had to flow in order that we might be saved by His blood. Consider the Lord Jesus Christ if you don't have faith. He'll give you faith. Let's trust in Him. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as we have considered the Lord Jesus Christ, if there are here any who are yearning to trust but have no faith, Lord, I pray that You would amply supply them with faith uh, from Jesus Himself. Father, I pray that You would strengthen all of us in our faith as we look to Him. Father, we ask that You would um, help us also as Jesus came here to deliver us from our fear of death, to look upon Him as He lay hanging on that uh, terrible cross with no life in His body. Help us to be encouraged that He took up His life again, and that in Him we have life and have it to the fullest. We pray in His name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.